This episode is brought to you by Catan. This summer looks a bit different than most summers. We're staying at home for the most part, and we're finding ourselves looking for new activities to enjoy at home. Catan is a board game for three to four players, ages 10 and up, although younger kids can play with adult guidance. It is a great way to keep families engaged in off screens, even if it's just for a little while. And those opportunities are hard to come by. And it's really easy to pick up. Get Catan at catanshop.com slash mom. Listeners of our podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code mom at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Hello and welcome to Stuff I've Never Told You. I am Annie, and I am joined once again by Samantha, who unfortunately I I surprised with my intro, I guess. <laughs> I don't know why that made me laugh. There was a moment of you looking up like you were trying to remember your name. I actually have a history of, I won't say forgetting my name, <laughs> but because I have an oddly spelled name, oh. um, a lot of people look at me, and I've been asked more than once, are you sure? <laughs> And so I had a period of my life, particularly in high school, where uh, a teacher came up to me and he put my test in in front of me and he said, Annie, I think you misspelled your name. (laughs) And I had a moment of complete panic, Samantha, because I was like, oh, my God, what if he's right? (laughs) All of my life I've been saying my name wrong. But I've said— that's a thing. It is. And I've said on this show before— well, I don't know if that's a thing, but the the self-doubt certainly is. And I've right. said on this show before that I hate the way I say my name because I feel like I say it with a question. Like, right. I'm Annie? <laughs> question um, mark? Are we sure? Because <laughs> I'm so used to getting questioned about it. That's not what this episode is about, not but I do think it could be an episode. <laughs> I think we should because I have a hard time pronouncing my own name, and I wonder if it's because I learned Korean first and or I'm just really bad with words. This is why this podcast is really fun, because words are difficult for me. Fun with pronunciation. I don't do well with that. Well, I'm glad you're here. Uh, I'm glad, (laughs) Samantha, you are joining us again today in our our uh, mini-series. here to distract all the things. Yes. Keep keep going. Particularly me. Um, (laughs) Looking at trauma and the age of Me Too. And we have a bit of a lighter episode today, because when we were kind of arcing out our episodes... We knew that they were going to be difficult for us and for you, and we wanted to have some things that were a little bit lighter. Um, I will say that, of course, I took it down a dark path. I mean, it's hard (laughs) not to when your mindset is, oh my goodness, all these things are bad. And when it comes to sex, there's definitely a dark side and a light side. Is that the word? Yeah. Light side? Right side? I feel like you're in a... Star Wars movie right now. And I don't know what those are because I've She doesn't. She hasn't seen them. <laughs> Yoda. Yoda. <laughs> um, but for this, our, our lighter episode, um, we're going to be talking about 
sex and society and women and how they all interact. And it's kind of a first part to we're going to look at dating. And I'm going to count on you a lot because, as I've said before, I don't really date. Um, But, Samantha, you have a lot of stories. I have stories. Um, I'm going to say we might be in trouble for those episodes because I'm awful at dating. Honestly, it may not be trouble as much as more entertaining and or my downfall, which is also entertaining. Yeah. But, hey, low expectations. Low expectations, Set the bar low. Go ahead and assume that I have some weird dates. And (laughs) my interaction as a social person is really awkward. Just, yeah. I love it. Yes. I don't love it as much as, oh, my gosh, I did that. They're fun stories to share, <laughs> uh, we'll say. There there could be some enjoyment from your— I mean, uh, honestly, that's like um, one of the ways that you can meet people, that you have yeah. that commonality of this date was bad. Why was your date bad? Oh, really? Let me see. Let me tell you about my story. Yes. And I have plenty of bad dating stories as well. You're not alone. I'm just, like, more accidental in mine. Um, you do go on accidental accidental dates. That's all the super time. super weird. All the time. I don't mean to. That hint's accidental. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but um, I can't wait to talk about that. And if any of you listeners have fun stories or embarrassing stories, any stories you're willing to share about your dating experiences in These Are Modern Times, please send them our way. We might include them. Um, We want to be normal. So, therefore, we would love weird interactions to make us feel normal. Yeah, please. Please help us feel normal. (laughs) Um, Some trigger warnings before we dive in. Uh, We're going to be talking about date rape culture, um, the definition and differentiation between rape and date rape, acquaintance rape, rape inside a marriage, body image, expectation, and women's sexuality. Am I a slut? Because I like sex. We're going to investigate that whole question. (laughs) Um, Sex toys and the value of virginity. So if any of those are triggering for you, As always, please take care of your own mental health before listening. And we are creating a culture that perpetuates everything we're talking about, like how we mentioned grooming on a national scale. So that's why it turned into a much bigger thing than the light episode we were planning. Right. Um, Again, when it comes to sex, especially right now, in this day and age, as we try to redefine women's rights, redefine the role of women. Yeah. And I say that because of the administration and the backwards take we have on the laws that have been created from way back when. Yep. Such as, well, I won't get into all of that, but I think people understand what we're doing. And it seems like feminism has having to defend itself once again. Defend herself. Yeah. Is it, are we going to put it as a person? Are you making feminism like God and yeah, it's a she? Yeah, it's, it's an entity um, once again. And what does that look like on a national scale? And unfortunately, right now, we have to, again, redefine what assault looks like, what abuse looks like, what um, rape looks like. And then we shouldn't have to. Right. But yet, the people in charge are having to make us do so, I feel like. Right. And this is, we're talking... Both culturally, but also legally in this case. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, 
it's wild to me that after Kavanaugh was confirmed, how many friends of mine were like, I've got to go get an IUD. Right. Honestly, that was the first thing. I was like, we, and, and I've had several friends be like, we're going to go ahead and get a new one before the law changes and we can't get birth control for a reasonable price mm-hmm. or for preventative purposes. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and that's another thing of, um, I've told you, I have been too afraid to go because I had such a bad experience and I need um, like a lot of friends of mine have gone and they got prescribed like pain pills right. and that, I need that because I had like a panic attack last time I went. It was incredibly painful. Um, and you're not the only one. I know um, there's many conversations just in conversations with Caroline from the previous stuff mom never told you host as well as now unladylike. She and I had a very vast difference and experience when it came to our IUDs. Mm-hmm. I literally went in. She barely gave me anything. My um, gynecologist was like, eh, you'll be fine. And I was. And then I went running. And as where Caroline has told her experience of seeing colors and things, right. I was like, what is happening with you? <laughs> right. And that's not to negate that people experience that, but it's just the fact that there is a differentiation between one and the other. Yeah. And how, actually, it can be traumatizing as well because it is kind of an invasive process, even though it's a simple oh. process. Oh, yeah. I've talked about that before on a different episode, how the first time I went to a gynecologist, he told me I was pregnant. What? And it scarred me for life. Oh, my gosh. I can now say with certainty, scarred me for life. Yes. Um, and it was just a bad, cheap pregnancy test. Oh, my gosh. Um, but you know what? When it comes to sexuality, I think the reason this, again, we're talking a little deeper than what we had intended. Because we, when we, you and I discussed it, it was a lot of funny anecdotes about our sexuality or right. our sex life and or lack thereof. Um, but now we're starting to, not starting to, it's always been a thing where women's, sexualization is almost used against them. Yes, and since that's something that's come up in our previous episodes we've done around trauma, let's talk about sexualization. The American Psychological Association, the APA, specifies four things that separate sexualization from healthy sexuality. One, a person's value comes only from his or her appeal or behavior to the exclusion of other characteristics. Two, A person is held to a standard that equates physical attractiveness, which is narrowly defined, with being sexy. Three, a person is made into a thing for others' sexual use rather than seen as a person with the capacity for independent action and decision-making. And or four, sexuality is inappropriately imposed upon a person. This is especially relevant when children are imbued with adult sexuality. Yes. And the images we see in media matter. They really do, especially when we're talking about kids. Outside of school and sleep, children spend the most time interacting with entertainment media as opposed to other things that they do in their life. Sexualization in media can be revealing clothing, facial expression that conveys sexual readiness. So if you think about pretty much any ad that has a what I would call a sexy woman in it, She has this face. You'll recognize it when you see it. Objectification um, is being presented as an object. This is pretty common in advertising, seeing just a body part. And there's a whole website dedicated to rounding up all the, quote, headless women that we see. And I'm telling you, you won't be able to unsee (laughs) that once you, like, start looking. It's everywhere. I don't want to see that at all because I was already traumatized by some of the commercials that try to make hamburgers sexy. 
Do you remember parties? That? You're talking about yes, parties. And who they, Trump tried to put that guy in charge of something in our oh, government. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, that was scarring enough. I'm like, why? We already know this woman doesn't eat this hamburger. Yeah. Well, she has paid a nutritionist to make sure she can stay thin, and that's great for her if that's what she wants. Why lie? Yeah. I mean, and then also we can talk about this whole actual, say, social media thing that occurred between Natalie Portman and Jessica Simpson. I'm assuming you don't know. I don't know. I know. <laughs> but the whole uh, Natalie Portman came out and talked about how when she was a child actress, she would look at all the images and feel like she had to be sexualized. And she put Jessica Simpson's commercial, which I believe— wasn't she one of the ones that ate the hamburger? Maybe. I think, yeah, yeah she was. Yeah. She was. And was so sexualized that she was really, she said she was really confused on what she was supposed to be, which then Jessica Simpson was really upset, feeling like she was being called out for sexualizing something as a child. But the whole misinterpretation was that Natalie Portman was confused. And she was giving an example about why she was confused as where trying to figure out between being sexualized objectively and or having your own sexuality, which is what Jessica Simpson felt like she was doing. Yeah. So it's kind of this whole, like, thin middle line in this conversation of yes. what it is sexual, be, to be sexualized and to be sexual. Yeah. As we were talking about. And then that's kind of the same thing when I talk about social media. Children have more access to porn on the Internet, which has now begun this whole early sexualization for children. And so because they have no context of what this porn is trying to portray, they see that as true sex. Right. So when you have a conversation with many teens, many kids, and I say teens, you will see this misconception continue on, whether it's the whole, oh, she's saying no, but she means yes. She's wearing sexy clothes. She's coming on to me. That means I can have sex with her. Right. All of these things. And both female and male youth that I've worked with as a social worker because of what they see on pornography, really are so confused about consent. They're so confused about the right timing. And then they also have these urges because of what they see, all of these sexy images, that they don't know how to control it and neither do they know consent and therefore move forward in violating other people without understanding what it is. And like you said, yeah, women and girls engage with a lot of media that sexualizes women um, and people that do engage in more of that stuff are more likely to ascribe a woman's value primarily to their physical appearance. And I thought of things like beauty pageants, toddlers and tiers, like toddlers and tiers. Think about that. Right. I mean, if you look at most of the reality shows, if you're a child who's watching Housewives of blah, 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 mm-hmm. not that they're not entertaining. I do find them entertaining at times. But it does have this whole persona of you need to look this certain way. You need to compete with other women. Yep. Da-da-da-da-da. Yes. And then toys and clothing, these are big factors in this conversation as well. Things like Bratz, uh, the Bratz dolls, and Monster High dolls that have copious makeup, high heels, mini skirts, small waist, big boobs, which, yes— you could get into discussions like we have around dress code. I think that's been my biggest, like, personal wrestling with this because I'm someone that does like to dress sexy on occasion. Right. And it's my own, like, healthy sexuality, but I worry about how children are perceiving it. Right. Because, and it's not on me, but it's on this culture that has made my own healthy sexuality is being taken as something that is working off of, like, 
sexualization and the male gaze. You know what I mean? Right. And that's part of, again, the problem being sexualized and being sexual. Mm-hmm. And I, like you said at the very beginning, because I, too, have that moment of like, hey, I have lingerie. I like to wear it every now and again. It's not for him. It's for me. Right. And that's when I say him, I'm going to put a quote because I'm really, if they're ever around. It's for you. Um, it's for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to make myself feel better. And then at the same time, yeah, you have this whole persona that to be sexy, you need to look sexy for your man or your partner. And that's the only way you're valued is by taking on this claim that, yes, I'm sexual, but I'm doing this for you as well. Right. So it's a, this dichotomy of trying to be your own person and liking yourself, but do you buy into this industry that spends so much of their time to get money from women because they work on their insecurities? Which is another episode. Oh, my goodness. But it does relate to magazines. Right. And a study in 2008 found that across 58 magazines, over 50% of the ads featuring a woman in them portrayed the woman as a sexual object. However... When looking at specifically men's magazines, that number rose to 76%, which is pretty high. That's really high. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's for the lonely men to appreciate this woman more <laughs> so than for women to actually buy these things? No? maybe that's I'm trying to think head. if, um, you know, all I'm thinking of are old stereotypes about young boys hiding Playboy right. under their and mattresses. I, definitely, I mean, and in some uh, sitcoms, you see them taking Victoria's Secret magazines. Oh, sure. You know what I'm saying? Sure, yeah. Which, well, By the way, there's a lot of Photoshopping in there. Let's just put that out there. Sam's note of the episode. There is Photoshopping <laughs> involved. No one's perfect. No. In 2006, the APA looked at the sexualization of our society, and here were their key takeaways. Women and girls are more likely to be sexualized and objectified by our media than boys or men, which I would guess is no surprise to anyone listening. But anyone can be sexualized. Boys are more likely to internalize images of men being aggressive, dominant, and powerful, which is a complement to sexualization when it comes to rape culture. Right. I mean, you kind of talked about it when we were talking about last uh, the last episode when you were bruised up, and they're like, oh, you like it rough. This is kind of that same mentality because I've definitely been approached online, and we're going to talk more about it, about me being dominated. That is definitely a comp- And I'm like, what? I just said hi. How does right. that translate to I want to be dominated? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. We're, yeah. we're teaching women, like, through these ads, oh, you are objects to be used for pleasure, and hey, men— be aggressive, right. possessive, dominant. If you want to be a real man and show exactly. good sexuality, you have to dominate your partner. Right. And like we talked about in our episode around Terry Crews, this is very damaging when it comes to men reporting sexual assault. Um, honestly, we could also talk about the many incidents of boys and their female teachers and or someone who is female that have power over another. And until recently, it wasn't perceived as abuse and is very underreported. Even to the fact one of my favorite shows... 30 Rock, I appreciate it. I think it's fantastic. I think it's funny. But they use a plot, plot line where one of the main characters was abused as a kid by his teacher and now has a formulated relationship. And I understand that it's supposed to be ironic, but at the same time, it perpetuates that whole idea that it's not a big deal. But right. it should be because there's a lot of manipulation that could be involved and or a lot of... Um, 
psychological trauma that we don't understand from boys because they're also supposed to pretend like they like it even if they don't. Right. And if they don't, and if they tell, then they're weak and they're not being, uh, they're not taking advantage of the situation. Right. Which is absurd. Right. Because in our society, men always want to have sex. Right. Yeah. Which is unfortunate and bad. And every time I hear a prison rape joke, I get very angry. This whole thing is sexualization and seeing this objectified version in our media leads to greater feelings of shame and anxiety about one's looks, uh, increased negative mental health outcomes among teen girls. And if we look at girls and young women between 10 to 19 years, over a 50-year period, rates of anorexia nervosa mirrored fashion and body image ideals. So it does impact physically, mentally, how we are taking care of ourselves or not taking care of ourselves. Absolutely. And if we focus in on self-esteem, the Dove Self-Esteem Project found that only 11% of girls would call themselves beautiful, and concerns about their looks was enough for 6 out of 10 girls to avoid a fundamental life activity. 81% of 10-year-old girls in the U.S. are afraid of being fat. 81%. Right. I mean, I definitely understand that. I feel like I've missed out on a lot of childhood, teenage things because I felt like I was too fat. In college activities, even, because I felt like I was too fat. I didn't like the way my body looked, and therefore I had to cover everything. I isolated myself and or overcompensated by joking about my own body and or race and or something that was obvious to try to negate and try to push away from them hearing someone else making fun of me. Right. Yeah, me too. And I I wore clothing that was huge to, like, hide my body. I Um, did not wear jeans or pants for literally four years. Really? Because I was so ashamed of my body. Yeah. Um. What is that special? Is it the the comedy special Nan? I don't know. Oh my god! I have to go back and research it. But she was she's a comedian who refused to who refused to do her special because majority of the time she was a a lesbian with you know a bigger body and so her jokes were always about her body and or her sexuality and it was so self deprecating that it became damaging. And finally, in this episode, she was like, I'm done. I'm done with comedy. This was supposed you think you're here for a, a comedic, comedic stand, but you're mm-hmm. not. This is not what it is. I'm done making fun of myself and putting myself down for entertainment of others. And body image to level set is the mental representation that we create of what we look like. And it might be how others see you, or it might not be. It is influenced by all kinds of things. What we see in the media, our friends, our family. Uh, one of my uncles, he used to joke with me that I needed to shop in the maternity ward, and I'm sure he didn't mean it to have as much of a damaging impact as it did. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think I love how family members feel like they have the right to call you out on things when they're probably just as guilty and yes. no worse. Oh. Right? Yes. Um, I definitely had been told, oh, you're getting kind of thick there. You've been eating some, you've been eating, haven't you? Mm-hmm. You, you, you're looking good. It's okay. Keep going, girl. I'm like, These little, what? like, nudge, nudge, wink, right. wink. It's that passive aggressive, I'm complimenting you at the same time telling you you're fat. Yeah. Yes. And when you search body image online, almost all of the top results are women and body image. Womenshealth.gov has a whole page about body image, but research does show that it is increasingly impacting men and boys. 
A friend recently described this to me as the Disney princessification of superheroes impacting men. A new report in The Atlantic found that 18% of boys are concerned with their weight and physique. Thin ideal media is a term that gets thrown around a lot, and this impacts all of us. But whereas women are most likely to feel pressure to lose weight, men are equally likely to feel pressure to lose weight and to gain weight via muscle at the same time. Sexualization has been linked by several studies to eating disorders, low self-esteem, and depression. These are negative mental and physical outcomes from what we're talking about. And on a personal level, I'm not sure I could ever properly express the shame and fear I have of my body. In high school, I used to throw up every morning when I saw myself in the mirror, and my parents thought I might be pregnant um, and displaying morning sickness. And eventually, I ended up in the hospital. I went through several eating disorders. People are dying, are being sick to look a certain way. Right. I definitely have worked with many girls who have been hospitalized due to their illness. And it is an illness. I think that's one of the things that we need to talk about. It is a mental health illness that they can never be satisfied. And it's not just because of society. It is definitely a big attribute to them, but then their own self-worth and control. So when we were talking about the trauma and the loss of appetite, it is something that people can control. So it is really, really scary because people have died. People have ruined their um, esophagus. esophagus. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like they can't function. They lose their hair. They look gaunt. Like it's just such an unfortunate thing. I will say I didn't necessarily deal with anorexia or bulimia, but I definitely stopped eating. And even now, I mean, this morning you and I talked about the things that we're doing to try to combat our weight gain from the, the holidays. Yes. And it's still a big important thing. I'm like, I can't fit into these pants. I have to do A, B, C, and D to lose this weight quickly because I feel like blah. Yeah. Essentially. Yes. Yeah. And it's it really bothers me because like one of my best friends and also my mom to a certain extent, almost always we end up talking about like weight and losing weight. Um, and to this day, I still get uncomfortable when men tell me they think I'm beautiful and I'm not too sure why I think think is because I feel like I'm not. I'm immediately self-conscious. And to me, it's like a passing of judgment on more than looks, but also my worth. And I can't help but interpreting it as I want to have sex with you, which then frightens me because I'm already thinking, how can I diffuse this situation so it doesn't reach that point? And I know that's a lot to get from what ostensibly is a compliment. Right. I mean, I have similar reaction I think for me it has a lot to do with the fact I was sexualized at such a young age and even now the sexualized perception of an Asian woman has me on edge with most men I meet. I'm very very weary when I get hit on because the majority of the time I'm going to say probably like 70% of the time that I get hit on it begins with where are you from? Mm. Right. No no but where are you from really? And or no no where is your family from? Because I like to mess with people. I'm like, I'm from LJ, Georgia. No, 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 no. <laughs> but I mean, if I actually look at all of these things, I automatically assume it's not sincere. Right. And again, just kind of like you have a motive for telling me this. And I will say even my father, my adoptive father, who I love and is my father, would tell me things about how great I am or whatever. And I would get so uncomfortable because I know you don't like it and would walk away trying to tell me. But he needed to tell me, I think. Because he is a good father trying to raise a self-worth 
in within myself. Mm-hmm. But to me, it just automatically came, you're manipulating me. Yeah. As you were saying, and or this is something that I can't control and you're going to use this against me. Right. Yeah, exactly. And when your value is defined through your desirability to someone else and it's this super narrow window um, that for a lot of us is out of our reach, it's hard not to internalize that and turn it into failure like we were talking about in our very first episode in this series into low self-worth, into feelings of shame. Right. And as I've said before, I'm a big cosplayer and kind of alluding back to what we were talking about, uh, this episode has made me think a lot about how I love to dress in sexy cosplay, sexy outfits. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But it did make me think about how children might be perceiving it and why I feel like I can only be sexy when I'm not me, a.k.a. Slutoween from um, Mean Girls. Is that from Mean Girls? Yeah, Tina Fey, she jokes and she's like, you're you're punishing, she jokes, uh, you're punishing these girls for being sexy, but it's the only time they're allowed to be sexy, that it's like sanctioned that they can do this. Um, I mean, I agree with that. It's kind of hard for me to dress up in general because of that. Um, you and I have been talking a lot about Dragon Con and cosplay, and I, and I told you, one of the reasons I don't attend these things, as an Asian woman, I'm scared mm-hmm. about those who are infatuated with Asian culture slash Sailor Moon, anime, any of that. That automatically puts me on edge because the conversations that turn into women, Asian women wanting to be this, this, and this, and it's all very sexualized, and it's all very, to me, almost demeaning, and also you got to remember a majority of my trauma came from being in Korea. So automatically I'm just, yeah, Asian culture means I'm going to get molested or sexualized and or sexually harassed. So it does. It kind of puts you on edge. But at the same time, I do want to look sexy. Yeah. But how do I do that without feeling like I'm going to bring on a male perspective that's going to make me feel gross? Right. And I mean, we hear that all the time. What was she wearing? So, of course, you're going to start to think about it, worry about it a little bit more. And something like Dragon Con, which has 100,000 people come out, and a lot of them are in sexy clothing, it feels more like, I can do this. I'm not the only one. Right. You have a little more security when a group as well. Right. And that's not to say terrible things have happened at conventions. And we'll probably... We'll, the reason we've been talking about this is because we're we're... Workshopping an episode, perhaps, around it. I'm um, going to stay forever. <laughs> I'm going to stay forever. Mm-hmm. Okay, keep going. But in the meantime, we have a little bit more for you. But first, we have a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Arches and Halos. Between being on video calls all day, having to wear masks everywhere, and now using our eyes and only our eyes to smile at people, it feels like the main thing people notice now are our eyes. Arches and Halos is our favorite brow products that is so easy to find, pick up, and with a few quick steps, have the most amazing brows ever. They have professional quality products at the perfect price point. Celebrity makeup artists use Arches and Halos because of how well done the formulas are, and they are half the price of department store brands. 
They have eight color shades to choose from, everything from sunny blonde to auburn to charcoal. Everyone is represented. They cater to women and men of all brow shapes and sizes. Embrace your natural brow. And they're all about individuality. Brow tools for all looks and style needs. You can use for dramatic or natural look. They have an amazing range of products too, from tweezers, razors, pencils, pomade, mousses, gels, all kinds of things. Find Arches and Halos on your next trip to Target and Walgreens. Arches and Halos Professional Brow Grooming. Be bold, be you. This episode of Stuff Mom Never Told You is brought to you by HelloFresh. Get fresh pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door with HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and makes home cooking fun, easy, and affordable. And while we're under a quarantine, I will say HelloFresh has so many recipes. It's been wonderful because it gets me out of my rut and I'm able to try new recipes instead of my same old, same old. And they offer contactless delivery to your doorstep for easy home cooking with the family so you don't have to have those stressful meal planning and grocery store trips. Even better, HelloFresh's pre-portioned ingredients means there's less prep for you and less food waste. So if you're ready to try some of the delicious food from HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash MomStuff80 and use code MomStuff80 to get a total of $80 off, including free shipping on your first box. That's HelloFresh.com slash MomStuff80 and use code MomStuff80 to get a total of $80 off and free shipping on your first box. Additional restrictions apply. Please visit HelloFresh.com for more details. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So sexualization has also (laughs) been linked to sexual health, decreased use of condoms, and decreased sexual assertiveness, which is really important when you're talking about consent. Actually, that's a great conversation in the myths of what is virginity. And I know we're going to talk about that later on, but that's kind of how the link, people don't expect to have sex. So therefore, if they don't carry around condoms, that means they're not sexually active. And then they fall into this whole trap up blah. And then if they do other things, everything but sex, I'm safe, right? Right. Oh, no. A 2012 study found that by the age of six, girls were already feeling the pressure to be sexy. When shown a doll in a sexy revealing outfit and one in a fashionable trendy outfit, 68% of the girls said the sexy one looked more like how she wanted to look and 72% said the sexy one was more popular. For young girls and women, sexiness is more commonly linked to popularity. I mean, if you look at Instagram, it seems like that's right because one of the highest followings is, um, I don't even know her name. Is it Kendall Jenner? Are you looking at me, Samantha? I know. That I, is I think it's mistake. Kendall Jenner who <laughs> is a part of the Kardashian Kinder, yes, the J- yes. Jenner family. Mm-hmm. And she was the highest followed or the most followed yes, on Instagram. Until the egg. Right, until the egg. Thank God for the egg. <laughs> I'm just playing. I'm sure she's a great girl. I don't know anything about her. But um, in all honesty, this perception of her being sexy and her being able to be a model and her being able to make money off her looks it has been her whole thing. And people, and let's see, people sponsor them her specifically, because they know they have this giant following. Yeah. Yeah, and back when I worked primarily in YouTube, and I'm going to preface this and say it has changed a lot, but when I first started, there was a, like, an official suggestion to show cleavage in your thumbnails that you'd use on YouTube videos because they got more clicks. Now it's opposite. They'd punish you for doing that. 
Another thing that we talked about in our cosmetic surgery episode is how middle and high schoolers are more likely to get cosmetic surgery these days, especially as a graduation gift. Uh, Yeah. And I found a couple of studies and think pieces that suggested sexualization has negatively impacted our ability to have friendships. Women cutting off uh, other women, um, cutting them down over their looks, viewing each other as competitors for men, our platonic relationships between men and women, where in a heteronormative sense anyway, one person is always in the back of their head thinking sex could come from this. I have a friend who super subscribes to this belief. Seriously? That there's no, in her mind, somebody in a platonic man-woman friendship is willing to have sex with the other person. Maybe they don't want to, but they're like, you know. Well, today you just met one of my really close guy friends who Mm -hmm. has been my friend for over many years. We're going to leave it at that. Um, But they're definitely, it wasn't so much us. It was everyone else around us that was thinking, are you guys, you guys aren't lumping with each other. You guys are good for each other. Why aren't you dating? You Mm -hmm. should be dating. And we were very happy with the fact that we were close friends. And I still call him one of my best friends to this day. And his wife, thank goodness, is also a good friend. So none of that weirdness. But I will say, it's such a weird phenomenon to have someone in the back of your head telling you what you should feel. Yeah. But that's a whole different factor. Because also we were talking about the competitiveness between women, the housewives earlier. That's kind of the whole shebang. Not necessarily for men, but who looks better, who looks younger, who has more, who, who does more, I guess. Because it's such a weird thing that every woman needs to outshine other women because apparently that's the only competition. That's sarcastic, by the way. (laughs) And also I want to say I have plenty of male friendships that I truly believe are very platonic and very wonderful. And I know I have a bad track record, (laughs) but I also feel like I I do have those friendships and they can't exist. But the point being, I, I can totally see the argument that this sexualization aspect does impact friendships. Also, again, just like the example that I gave with my friend, there's an expectation beyond us who Mm -hmm. are in this relationship that it should be for no real reason other than it makes sense that they're together rather than single. Right, and we talked about this in our fan fiction episode, and I I think I could give a lecture on... Fan fiction? On fan fiction (laughs) and on why there's so many bromances in our media and it's because when you introduce a woman and a man into a situation they can't just be friends because that's what we've creators and producers have said forever like there's never just a man and woman that are friends they always end up together therefore if you add a woman into the situation because we all know that the main character's got to be a man then people are always going to be expecting them to end up together so they put a man as the best friend, and then oh. there's bromance. I guess that's how friends ended up having all the characters date each other, whether it made sense or not, because they can't just be friends. I told you that. That's one of my biggest pet peeves. <laughs> as far as LGBTQI and homophobia, this whole thing plays into the macho men don't share their feelings, don't hug other men thing out of fear of being labeled as a homosexual or effeminate. Um, and that also plays into the the bromance oh, conversation. I, I really want to talk about that uh, soon. soon. Yes. I'll, I'll help you. Perfect. I'll be, I'll be here for that. Right <laughs> in the studio. Right here. <laughs> and another thing that we wanted to talk about is the Lolita effects. Oh, yeah. So 
you you know a lot more. You knew a lot more off the bat about this, and I I knew about it once you explained it to right. me. But so if we look at Roy Moore, GOP nominee for Senate, accused of pursuing women in their teens while he was in his thirties, that's kind of a modern day, and this happens all the time. Right. Example of the Lolita effect. Right. So, uh, ugh, the Lolita effect. So when we're talking about the Lolita effect. Where we would loosely define what we're talking about by referencing the novel Lolita by Vladimir Novikov, whose protagonist obsesses about a 12-year-old who he calls a nymphette or the nymphette. And if you are a, if you were or are an English major, you already know about this book, and about 75% of the people say this is their favorite book. I understand it is a well-written book. But so was the uh, the butterfly, the pale butterfly. It's a great book by him too, by the way. I wanted to find an alternative, but um, I think everything about this book makes me angry, and I don't care how many English majors. Sorry, guys, love it. The term is often used as a reference as a, to a young female who seduces older men. So when we're talking about R. Kelly. He is a prime example of saying these younger women who he has power over are seducing him, which, by the way, has been an argument for years about why a 14-year-old or a 12-year-old can have consent because they seduce me and I'm a 40-year-old man and they have power over me, which is amazing. You can be president, yeah. but you don't have a power over a 14-year-old. Eh, right. Ugh. Which is problematic um, because... Perpetrators try to use this as a justification of wrongdoing. That's what I see. And I've heard on many occasions, like I said, where offenders will state she acted older than she was and she came on to me. Let's be very clear. And just a quick reminder, minors cannot consent. That is law. Let's just automatically put that out there. Because one of the things that make me so angry and what I've seen beyond anything else is this whole idea that a 14, 15, 16-year-old who came on to a 25, 28, 29, 30, 40, 50-year-old were trying to seduce them. Let's be, again, and you and I talked about the fact the daddy issues. Yeah. And that's a whole conversation we can have, which is also a really gross term as well, mm-hmm. about how we're seeking out approval in older men. And if you really want to put it, in a real conversation, I think older men take advantage of that situation. Because between a 14-year-old and a 25-year-old, I'm going to blame a 25-year-old. This is what I talk about when we hear about the nymphette. It has been an old term and an old excuse to abuse young women, essentially. Yeah. And something else that we need to talk about is the hypersexualization of girls of color. And that tends to come with the belief that they will not perform well academically. And to be clear, hypersexualization is when a combination of multiple sexualized attributes are present. Black women, Latina women, spicy Latinas, the fetish around Asian women like you were talking about, mm-hmm. Middle Eastern belly dancers, women of color are hypersexualized in our media and in our society. And this has led to a long dark past of rape, forced sterilization, and trafficking. Yeah, and I, like I said before about the Asian fetish, which is the people I try to avoid, um, it's definitely at the forethought of when I consider going on date with someone. I think I have that as part of my 
profile. So Do if you you've really? ever seen my profile, that if A, your first question is, where am I from? Or B, your second question is, will I dress up as an anime character? Please don't talk to me. <laughs> like it literally is something on my profile because I've had some random requests. Oh my gosh. Like I haven't had any dick pics. <laughs> I definitely had weird Asian fetish requests. It's a wild world out there. I can't wait to learn more right. about it. I mean, and on top of that, if you look at the um, women of color who are sexualized, that's lower. I think you and I talked about the whole racial dating phenomenon and that white women are the end goal. Uh-huh. And then the women of color are like, eh, okay. Yeah. But that's kind of that's over-sexualization of you want something pure and chaste. As whereas women of color are probably more sexual and deviant and therefore impure. Yeah. That I mean, again, another whole other conversation. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot at play here. Um, another thing is a lot of studies have shown that the sexier you dress, no matter your gender, the more likely you are to be viewed as incompetent. And it's a trap because as I've said before. We don't respect women in our culture. And if your value is in your desirability towards men, but the more desirable, a.k.a. sexy you are, the less competently you are viewed. You are seen as an object whose only worth is defined by someone else. That's a mirage of power, but that is not real power. And you know what? I don't understand that because when you look at some of the sexualized porn and all of that, women like librarians and teachers who actually don't dress that sexy are automatically sexualized. Mm -hmm. It's kind of this whole thing of like wanting to corrupt, I guess, a power figure. And that could be a whole other conversation about (laughs) male-female dominance or whatever. Are you talking about the Oedipus Rex complex? Oh, my gosh. Uh, On top of that, sexualization impacts concentration and the ability to perform tasks. In one study, participants were given 10 minutes to take a math test in either a swimsuit or a sweater. The test results while in the swimsuit were way worse for the female participants, but not for the male participants. For the women, comparing themselves to the beauty standard in their head got in the way of them concentrating on the math problems. Other studies on young girls show that those that report higher levels of internalized sexualization are more likely to spend time on their physical appearance as opposed to their academic requirements. Huh. That's an interesting study. Yeah, yeah. I was looking at um, getting ready for, like, a trivia thing or a test. Of course. And you have, like, 10 minutes to prepare something. Um, and the, the girls who showed higher level, levels of sexualization were more likely to spend time putting on makeup as opposed to studying or preparing for what they were about to do. So according to the study, I'm a genius. Because you put no makeup <laughs> on? Genius! And uh, yeah, I got no problem with putting on makeup, but it is like when you think about how much time and money goes into it. You know what? So I also bartend on the side. I have like 10 jobs. Everybody have 10 jobs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when it comes to bartending, I do dress up a little more and make sure that I'm a little more personable mm-hmm. and flirty in order to get more money. So that makes sense. Yeah. And all of this helps nurture so-called rape culture and does in its most destructive form result in sexual assault and abuse and sex trafficking. And if you want some depressing numbers on that, 
120 million girls around the globe have been victims of forced sexual acts and rape. In the U.S., around 11% of high school girls report that they have been raped. And again, that's reports. Exactly. And this is one of the most underreported things, especially in high school and middle school. I'm going to put that in there. And honestly, some elementary schools. Yeah. Um, they don't even understand what rape is. Right. And, ugh, blah, keep going. Yeah. One of the main reasons young women give for not coming forward when it comes to sexual assault is that they did not think it was serious enough. Exactly. And it's one of the reasons I didn't come forward. And that and the fear of not being believed. Exactly. Everything we're talking about plays into that. Right. So let's talk about masturbation. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. Let's do this. <laughs> I'm ready. Talking about women, society, and sex, I didn't know women could masturbate till I was in college. Yeah, that makes me kind of sad for you. I'm not going to lie. It was a bummer. I, I, I literally remember exactly the moment. We were playing Never Have I Ever. And I thought, you know what? This will be funny. And then everyone was like, what? <laughs> Did it become awkward? Did you make things awkward? I usually do. <laughs> That's why we're friends. <laughs> I thought you could only get sexual pleasure with a partner, uh, probably a man. Well, for me, masturbation was something I knew about since the age of five. If not earlier, I'm just going to say five as an estimate. I think because of that, the shame factor remained for me well until after college. Part of that due to my religious upbringing and the fact that you're not, you're not supposed to have sexual thoughts. And for women, you're not supposed to be sexual in general. And, right. and now, as a late 30-something, <clears throat> I see this as a great way of avoiding bad dating situations. And it's so much more time efficient. Just to be real, in and out, let's get this done. Yeah, I had to do a, a lot of research recently <laughs> on the history of um, dildos. Yeah. And... Um, so, until the 20th century, physicians and men at large Ugh. in Europe and the United States thought women did not experience sexual desire or pleasure. Like, legitimately thought, scientifically, they well, don't. That's how they exercised demons, was by masturbating women. Yep. Historically. Well, that's why the dildo was invented, because of tired male physician fingers. <laughs> um, back in the 18 and early 1900s, sex toys for women were actually more commonly talked about and advertised, but it was under euphemistic names. And when they started to be more commonly sold in the 60s as what they really were, under the name of what they really were, that's when we see all of this anxiety around them build up and around the female liberation that they were associated with. I mean, if you think about it, even now, we sometimes call them massagers. We call them in the state of Georgia, obscenity laws until like two years ago. Very recent. Uh, you could not sell sex toys. You could sell novelty items. That's or right. Or marital aids. That's right. Because Marital aids? Because you have to be in a relationship, ladies, if you're going to want this thing. <laughs> I will say, I did help a girl who had just gotten married and couldn't quite understand. Well, not quite understand, but couldn't quite get there with her husband. And we bought a sex toy for her, for her and her husband to enjoy together. Mm -hmm. But she needed that for her pleasure. Right. And uh, yeah, totally use them for marital aids. If we look at something like Fifty Shades of Grey, which did so much to bring awareness to sex toys, it was in the context of a man using them on a woman. Even the name sex toy makes women's pleasure sound like it's a childish pursuit. Advertising for sex toys, when you do see them, it often does shy away from the fact that women could use them by themselves. Terrifying. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Almost trying to reassure men. 
You're not going to be replaced, dudes. Calling them marital aids. Things like that. And the first male designers of dildos thought women just wanted longer penises. Longer? Yeah, longer. That's They made dildos much longer than like an average male penis. No. No. Uh, <laughs> men are obsessed with penis length. I mean, honestly, it's not about the size. It's about the motion in the ocean. Am I right, ladies? Huh? Huh? No? Okay, we'll stop now. So can we get a rim shot? <laughs> <laughs> Ever since Me Too, we're perfectly able to talk about women being assaulted, raped, or harassed in this frame of women being preyed on sexually by men. But we still can't talk about women being able to have sexual agency and find pleasure on their own. That's still so uncomfortable for us. The whole reason I did this research is because of the Osei sex toy um, that won an award at this year's CES, and then the award was rescinded because, quote, it was probably obscene, profane, or immoral. I like that that's being labeled for a sex toy, literally something that is supposed to be only done with a man if you want to talk about morality according to the Bible, which right. that's where morality has to come from, that or the law, which in the U.S., they kind of base it on the Bible. They do, even though in theory we have separation of church and state. Yes, but apparently we don't care. Nope. And you can even take this argument as it pertains to healthcare, the idea that erectile dysfunction pills are covered by insurance and money is thrown at studies looking into erectile dysfunction. Birth control, on the other hand, is so regulated that you'd be astounded at how recently we've even started looking at the female body, and other ways of birth control. Right. I mean, when you talk about Plan B, that's such a taboo statement in itself. And then you and I are talking about getting birth control before it gets taken away from us. Yeah. I would like oh, yeah. doesn't happen. As well as the fact that it just recently became a thing as being preventative. I right. don't quite understand that. Because how is it not preventative if you, if you, don't, if you want less abortion? I know. Don't conceive. I guess that's the whole abstinence thing, which, by the way, is ridiculous. Right. And that's a whole conversation around, um, because I have a lot of friends that are very Catholic, and that it it is viewed in in their religion, or at least in their, because I know different churches are more or less liberal or whatever, but um, I come from a very conservative town, and um, I know that birth control was seen as, like, aborting it. Right, and I've definitely had discussions with uh, friends of mine who say that any kind of hormones that prevent anything or kill off sperm, as they would say, is abortion, mm-hmm. and therefore they don't believe in it, in which my face does. If you could see my face, it's in what-the-hell mm-hmm. mode. Yeah. And I have to be like, you're a reasonably college-educated woman. What? Right. What-the-hell mode should be a Snapchat filter. <sighs> We can work on that. I want money for it. Okay. Well, okay. So we'll work on it, and then we'll sell it for for top dollar. Uh, so I guess we're going to embarrass ourselves. Even more, because we're talking about sex toys. We're talking about preventative. So if we're not going to have sex, but we feel sexual, sex toys is the next, next best option, yeah? Right. Um, and I will say, before I talk about that very briefly, I was prescribed birth control at 14 for migraines. You know what? I think, and then there was the Yaz that was prescribed for acne. Yes. But 
I did experience very negative side effects, extremely. And so I haven't used it since. I will say I've had issues with birth control where I was laid out um, because I was experiencing vertigo so badly that I could not sit up. Yeah. And I had to be like, this is, this is not working. This is not working. And yeah. I've had to go through one, two, three, four different forms before I figured out which, which one I liked. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it can be a difficult, intimidating process. But... And as we heard, the men are like, hey, it's fine. Yeah. Hey, hey. You're protected, right? You got this? Hey, you got Shut your birth up. control. But if we look at <laughs> sex toys, though, Oh, we're back to sex toys, which is why I don't want to talk to men. Keep going. Back to sex toys. <laughs> so when I got my first vibrator, I was in college, and I was about to move to China. And I'd already been there for eight months, but I came back to the United States to graduate, make some arrangements, move back to China. And some of my best expat lady friends in China very strongly recommended getting a vibrator while I was in the U.S. In their words, I would not be having much sex, if any, while I was in China. And vibrators were hard to come by. I don't know if this is true, but that is what they told me. And they said it with a lot of conviction. And (laughs) I was at a party and with a little liquid courage. This is in the United States before I go back to China. I asked some of the women were at the party, who I didn't know very well, by the way, um, <laughs> for their recommendations. And they had so, so many, so many recommendations. And at the time, I was the only woman in my, in my dorm. So it was five stories. I'm the only woman. Georgia Tech was a... I was going to say, you're at Georgia Tech, right? 75% dudes. Um, and there was an insurrection, which is a sex toy shop. Which sounds like a sex toy shop. It does. And it was across the street. And it had this blue and pink blinking light that kept me up all night. I remember when my parents moved me in, my dad was like, what is that? And I was trying to be like, oh, nothing, Dad. (laughs) Don't worry about that. You should be like, it's a candy store. (laughs) Next. (laughs) You know, just Atlanta. Don't worry about it. There's lights around. And that's where I went. And the male salesman followed me around the entire time, made me very uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. That's exactly how you should have that experience. Right. I got a blue... Penis-shaped thing called Devolved. Wow, you remember this clearly. I do remember. Oh, God, I was like, I'd never been before. Right? I mean, <laughs> I get it. I just play on D-loved, like you don't need love. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and when I checked out, he made he put the batteries in, and he made me, like, hold it and show that it worked, because you can't return them, you know? And I blushed so hard. He demonstrated it for you? Uh, he made me, like, say, yes, it works. Oh, okay, okay. That, yeah, that not was, that that makes sense, but as like a like a sales approach that you yeah. can't complain about it. Yeah, but that's still creepy. It was creepy. Oh man! Um, and for me, <laughs> as a sexually repressed religious girl, I actually didn't have one until my twenties, and it was actually given to me by a roommate. It was brand new, so don't worry about that. <laughs> not you. If you if you if you need to know, mm-hmm. um, and that was the only one I had for years. Obviously, it was a good one. I was happy with it. And then I discovered the wonderful, wonderful world of online shopping. I think the only sex store I'd actually gone to was in Paris, in the red light district, and when, which I was co- accompanied by an adorable gay boy who was dismayed. I had never been to one before. He had to take me there, and I was like, oh, okay. And to be honest, I don't really remember it. It was so, I was so embarrassed, it kind of turned into a blur. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, definitely, I've been since. I kind of told you the story about... Um, the married girl 
who I was trying to help and get a, a sex yeah. toy. But even then, I mean, even now, even though I'm very open about sex and, and more willing to explore or talk about it because I think it's important, it still, it still feels really uncomfortable to go into a building with all of those darkened windows. Uh, if you think there's a couple of stores here that seem to both sexualize Asian people, you know what I'm talking about, yeah. as well as trying to make it fancy, that mm-hmm. I'm like, no, I can't. I can't. That's everything I'm against in some type of way or form. But I'm sure they've got some nice things. Oh, yeah. But honestly, online shopping has been my sex toy saving grace. But <sighs> thanks, Internet. Thanks, Internet. Thanks for providing all the good things I need without having to go into a darkened store where a man has to show me how to use it. Right. Well, and I, I've told you before we move on briefly that recently one of my favorite memories, very embarrassing, but I, I enjoy it, was um, <laughs> me and a group of my best friends went to a Harry Potter oh, yeah. party, and I was dressed like to the nines in my Harry Harry Potter Hermione kind of outfit. And there was a lot of drinking involved. And it. my friend had just broken up with her boyfriend, whom she was very much in love with, very miserable. And she wanted to go to a get purchase a sex toy. And That's the best way to get past the man. She vomited oh. inside the store. And I have a picture of me dressed as Hermione inside a sex store, like comforting my friend and it's one of my favorite pictures ever and you're about to get so many emails from random guys saying send me that picture (laughs) it's really it's top notch (laughs) it's top notch um but anyway uh something else we wanted to bring into this conversation around this embarrassing conversation as we admit to things yep uh virginity but i will say right at the top Defining virginity is difficult, and I wouldn't say there is one definition. It's mostly been defined as penetrative penis and vagina sex, but that is changing, not only because it's extremely narrow, but it also leaves out LGBTQI folks. And we discussed in our bad sex episode how some young folks think of it as their first orgasm. And just to be clear, there is no medical definition for this. You know what? And I find it really interesting. A lot of youngsters, I'm going to say that as an old person, would not classify anal sex as sex. And this is kind of their loophole of staying a virgin, which is, um, yeah, that's not correct. Now, we're not going to say that that's the same definition of, let's say it, it's not, you're not a virgin. You've had a form of sex, which I think is the problematic point of what sex is. And why people don't talk about it because you know what we need to talk about anal sex and how it can or can, it can be used in a nice way or an awful way and you should have the choice either way but that's another story so i'm going to stop now yeah and something that i've brought up a lot recently is the fact that we teach women and young girls that having sex will be painful the first time like you should expect it to hurt that you should expect to bleed, which used to be the test to tell if a woman was a virgin, if she bled. And sometimes that will happen, sometimes it won't. In either case, the bleeding is usually very minimal. Um, Some women will sew stitches into their vaginas to make sure that they bleed, so someone will think they are a virgin. Um, Some women use artificial hymens that bleed red dye, bleed in quotes, (laughs) or cosmetic surgery called hymenoplasty, 
which some countries have labeled as female genital mutilation. Mm. Some women won't go to a gynecologist because they don't want to, quote, lose their virginity there. Um, or ride a bike. They won't put it, tampons in. Yeah, it's fantastic. All those urban legends about... There are so many. There's so many. Like, I know all of these. I right. just hadn't really thought about all of them. That you have a friend of a friend who sat on a bike and she lost her virginity. You're like, wait, what? Is that how? I mean, then as a child, it's terrifying. (laughs) Yeah, I'll never ride a bike again. But why? (laughs) Right. And it's such a strange concept to me, tying virginity to virtue, like sacrificing a virgin to lose your virginity, or he took her virginity, gave it up, popped her cherry, deflowered. All of these things are negative, and a lot of them are kind of violent. And it's definitely dismissive. Yeah. Of an experience for a woman that should be something on her own, be prized if it wants, if they want it to be, and or whatever. Right. And then we could also look at things like purity balls, which are these big parties where young girls pledge their virginity to their fathers, which I find very weird, but okay, until a suitable husband comes along. My niece's mother asked me to come to her purity ceremony, and I refused, and it caused some trauma. I I said I would talk to her about sex anytime. Right. But I am not willing to go oh, yeah. to a purity ball. Yeah. I've never participated in, in these, but it was interesting to see that family saw this as a middle-class celebration. Um, as if virtue and virginity was a profitable currency, yeah. which was a thing way back when, and which is why they pretended— or try to prove that they were a virgin. And there's this almost unsaid understanding, sex is dirty and lower class and ignorant, which isn't true. Because if you really think about the conversations or when you talk about women having sex, like, oh, she's a, she's a hoe. She, she gave it up to this guy or she did this to this guy. Right. And it's usually a lot to do with some type of socioeconomic status as well. Um, and I mean, conservative groups still only believe in teaching abstinence which leaves a lot of important questions unanswered. And I think that's part of the reason is that if you're a good girl, if you're truly a middle-class girl with virtue or upper-middle-class virtue, you won't need to know about sex because you're not going to have sex until it's right. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, another point of Annie not knowing anything about <laughs> pop culture unless it's Marvel or Harry Potter related. Isn't The Bachelor right now a virgin? Okay, now this, I have no idea. Reality shows are not is. my thing. Oh, is it he? Yes. Oh, that, that would be a Bachelor, not The Bachelorette. Okay, I got right. it um, It caused a big stir on Among, Twitter. Oh. People were mad. They're like, why don't they keep calling him a virgin? Isn't this, this is a negative, it's perpetuating negative stereotypes about virginity. I mean, that's the thing. That is the other part that I think we need to think uh, talk about is virginity and if that's something that you believe in and that's something that you hold true, that's not a bad thing either. No. Like, you do you and if you feel that you want to be in a healthy place before you have sex, that's amazing. That's Please great. do that. Yeah. Please do that. So, in no way are we negating the fact that virginity can be a good thing or is a no. good thing, but also we want to put on the fact people who stress that as an importance is also misleading. Yeah. As if it's the is it it's your identifier, which is can be unfortunate. Right. Yeah, I think that this timeline we have is very stressful to a lot of people because they feel like by this age I should have done this. Right. And it 
yes, I think it's much more important to be in a healthy place, to be with someone you like. Forget about that timeline. Right. Um, other terms like popping the cherry, breaking the hymen, that is not how it works. Uh, but it is an incredibly enduring myth, so much so that the Swedish Association for Sexuality Education started using the term vaginal corona as an alternative to hymen in 2009 ah. because people misunderstand it okay. so much. And I remember when I was in Europe in college and I was living with mostly Belgium university students, but some Spanish, French, British, German, all kinds, people from all over. And they all reported a very different experience and expectation around losing your virginity. Mostly that it wasn't a big deal, probably wasn't great. <laughs> Maybe you wouldn't even remember it. As opposed to here in the U.S. where we build up this whole losing your virginity thing to be a magical once-in-a-lifetime experience that just puts more pressure on something that is already full of pressure. International listeners, please write in and let us know if that, if that is the case. This is just what I heard anecdotally from people I was living with. For a long time when people would ask me when I lost my virginity, I would go through these mental hoops to not define what I had been through as losing my virginity. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm pretty much Liz Lemon from 30 Rock, in which she awkwardly jokes. She jokes about being mid-20s, which was myself as well, and losing it awkwardly. Oh, it sounds like you would have fit in with my European friends. Yeah. That's exactly what they were telling me. Was it's probably pretty bad. You don't know what you're right. doing. You're inexperienced. I was gonna say that was it. Didn't necessarily hurt, but at the same time, I was like, "Well, is this it? Is it? <laughs> I'm gonna go back to that vibrator my friend gave me." <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry, guy. <laughs> On the flip side of this Madonna horror situation, yeah, is the horror or the slut. Um, Slut-shaming is so prevalent, and it leads to things like revenge posts when an ex posts news or suggestive pictures on social media. And this can cost someone their job, can lead to self-harming and suicidal ideation. Um, yeah, sending nudes, that whole thing makes me so angry when people are like, well, she shouldn't have sent it. Uh, yeah, well, you shouldn't have posted it. Right. Cool. We talked about in our sexism and language episode how so many words in the English language went from meaning women to of power um, to essentially... Prostitute, because how else could a woman have any power? She only has power in her vagina. Yes. Well, recently, <laughs> a slutty vegan opened near us, and it got both of us thinking about all this weirdness around that word. Slut, like, you should be ashamed that you like it. Like, hide how much you like it. Strange. There's also an egg slut in Vegas, too, that is a similar marketing campaign. Right. So I guess it's to, it seems like it's trying to make food sexy. Yeah. Which then again goes to perpetuate, is this a thing that we want to sell something? Mm-hmm. Does it sell better because they're sexy, slutty, whatever? Mm-hmm. And you you can control that. I mean, when it comes to slut shaming, let's talk about enjoying sex and the misconception that women's orgasm isn't important. Yeah. Which, let's all agree, this is a sham. Mm-hmm. Traditionally, women's sexuality is about procreating, and as someone who has no desire for children, that's me, that is not my objective, and I like sex. I mean, I'm going to be very honest and tell you, I start becoming fairly frustrated and feel like I missed out on quite a lot because I, I waited so late in having sex and, and actually having good sex, let's say that. Yeah. And I will state that I absolutely... Again, I enjoy sex, and I <laughs> I went without it long enough. I mean, I'm 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 <laughs> now I'm just now 
I'm too awkward to do the hookup thing because I don't know how to do that. And there are days I just need someone, as I like to say, just someone to lay on me. <laughs> That's my statement. And as a strong woman, we've come far along when it comes to understanding our own pleasures and ability to state what we want. But I think we don't exercise that as a conversation enough. Um, I think when it comes to really wanting to pleasure ourselves, and I will say for me, part of that is also hoping that the partner also feels pleasure by me, obviously. But to have that conversation of like, I don't actually like this. I do actually like this. I don't want you to do that ever again, (laughs) that conversation, or actually stopping. Nope, nope, nope. You can't do that. Right. You know what I mean? And and I'll, let's talk about DJ Khaled. <laughs> yeah. Let's. You know what I mean? I'm going to say, hey, man, you need to learn to play, pleasure a woman because your wife deserves it. So stop right. being so dumb. You had to explain this to me, so maybe explain it to uh, listeners who might not know I what you're talking about. I will say DJ Khaled was on an interview at a radio station in which he talked about oral sex. And yes, he gets oral sex from his wife, but he doesn't give oral sex to his wife. Because he feels like he doesn't have to. He's the man. Right. And I think everybody kind of lost their mind about that, including mm-hmm. Nicki Minaj. She put that in her, like, one of her rap songs. She's like, I'm done with you because you refuse to pleasure your wife. I mean, that is a conversation. If you want a good marriage th- this day and time, it should be equal in all things, and that includes sex. Right. And I know that I have some friends who don't like receiving oral sex for whatever reason. Um, whether they get too self-conscious or whatever it is, but if if it is something you like, then that should be a part of a healthy relationship. Right, and not because he thinks he's the man and he doesn't have to. Exactly. Another thing that we need to talk about, unfortunately, is honor killings. Mm. Almost always, this is a situation where a man is killing a woman for bringing him and or his family, her family, usually dishonor, Maybe the woman falls for someone the family doesn't approve of. Maybe she leaves her abusive husband. About 1,000 women a year die this way in Pakistan, about 5,000 worldwide. And it happens in the U.S. too, and it's absolutely terrifying. It deserves its own whole episode, but I wanted to include it here because it does illustrate how we view women and their agency and their honor. Right, and their honor is, again, a currency for the family. Yep. And I think that's a, an important conversation about how women's virtue is not necessarily about the woman, but it's about the family, which is an absurd idea in itself. Um, and we can also talk about femicide, which has been the newest label for men killing women because the women refuse to do what they want, essentially, yep. and or make them mad or upset, however you want to say it, which is part of that as well. Yeah, and if we look at the LGBTQI community, honor violence is on the rise when it comes to uh, particularly gay men, but the whole community. So it is something that is frightening, and we should definitely come back and revisit that topic. But we have a little bit more for you, but first we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Chinet. The Chinet brand provides premium disposable tableware to celebrate moments of togetherness. Yes, and right now that is more important than ever. 
especially when we're all apart. So recently, I had a group and we had a a socially distanced barbecue where the host drew out circles and chalk that were six feet apart. And everyone showed up with their own chairs and beverages. And it was really convenient to have disposable products. And we we just had a, a lovely conversation. Um, it was really fun. Yeah. And I'm with the disposable products, I know that the China brand provides durable and trusted products, which I have used before, that let you enjoy every moment of the get-togethers and traditional or now not. And there are classic white products that can work for any gathering or cut crystal plates and cups when you want to make something a little extra special. Disposable tableware keeps things simple and clean up easy. Chinet products are available wherever you buy groceries, including delivery or pickup. This episode of Stuff I Never Told You is brought to you by Catan. This summer looks a lot different than most. We're staying at home for the most part, and many events we usually look forward to are canceled. We find ourselves looking for new activities to enjoy at home. Catan is a board game for three to four players ages 10 and up, although many younger kids can play with initial adult guidance. It's a great way to keep families engaged and off screens, even if it is just for a little while. And those opportunities are hard to come by. Unlike the roll your dice, move your mice games, this is a little different. What are your experiences? The first time I played Catan was at our office game night, and it was so fun. It was quick to pick up. It was easy. It was social. We made it really competitive because we're a competitive group, but you don't have to. And what I thought was just going to be a, a short game among friends turned into an epic game night that we shall remember forever. <laughs> hours we played, hours. And uh, yes, I lost, but I had fun. You had fun. <laughs> well, obviously, it keeps you really social. And like you said, it is really easy to pick up, which is really nice right now. This year is the 25th anniversary of Catan. Get Catan at catanshop.com slash mom. Listeners of the podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code Mom at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. And we're back with um, a depressing topic, but one that is necessary, and it is rape culture. Because uh, society, sex, and women, you've got to talk about rape culture. A survey conducted by the United States Department of Justice from 2000 looking into sexual victimization of college women found that less than 5% of rapes experienced by the women participating had been reported. Less than 5%. And the number one reason they gave for not reporting is not believing the crime was serious or bad enough, going back to what we said earlier. Which is taught to us, women, or people who are victims, children as well, that this is actually true. You need to calm down. It's not like you got murdered. Yeah. (laughs) It's not as bad as this other thing. Um, And the media... Uh, the media is so key in perpetuating this. Pop culture rewards both persistence and passiveness when it comes to men with women like the nice guy who, quote, deserves it or is entitled to it. Yeah, like if they bought you a nice fancy dinner and treated you nice, that means you need to put out. Right. It's also a gross term, I want to say that. It is. Um, and then there's this whole thing of women as sexual gatekeepers, a virgin in the streets but a freak in the bed, that type of thing. Jokes about men with tiny penises are bad at pleasing women equates to their worth as well. Doing the nice guy thing of treating women like people, the woman thinking this is a friendship, oh my God, that's me. And the nice guy thinking this lack of sex after doing everything right is a judgment on his masculinity and inadequateness. And that is tied to 
his right. value. And I would love the fact that I roll up on some uh, men's profiles who say, I know you don't like the nice guy. This is me. So you might as well. Like, it's so self-deprecating. Right. <laughs> to be the nice guy. I'm a terrible person. <laughs> like, I he's know like, you. I'm a nice guy, but I'm really angry. You won't choose me. I'm like, I don't think you're as nice as you think you are. Yes. Oh, yes. Um, things like friend zone or 40-year-old virgin. If we look at those things, defining men's value as their ability to, quote, land a hot woman in their lives. Women always end up with jerks in these things, a.k.a. someone who is not the nice guy. Yeah, because we have to be more forgiving, and these mean guys are probably nice, but for the men, you definitely deserve that hot girl Mm -hmm. who is the whole catch, great job, great sense of humor, all that things, right? Yes, yes, who definitely exists. (laughs) That's you, right? No. That's what I heard. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. No, it doesn't exist. Um. As long as women are afraid men will kill them mm-hmm. or violence will ensue, they say polite no's, which are misinterpreted as maybes, and we punish women for their sexuality but tell men they're entitled to it. As long as that's going on, this is going to continue. We make jokes about men who are sexually inexperienced and unsatisfying and about women being loose. So we're punishing the opposite of—we're creating the situation. Right. And also, yeah, lack of access to birth control, abortion services, lack of sex ed, and a little line item called pregnancy. Pregnancy. That's Might make us a little nervous. That's how I trap my men. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I just love that stigma, though, that oh, yeah, a woman's that I would go, I would get pregnant just to so. To ensnare right. you. And I'm like, no. No, no that that's sounds a like thing. a lot of a lot of work <laughs> and a lot of pain and probably a lot of money. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> sacrificing all of that for you. Yeah. Um, hypothetical guy. Hypothetical man out there. I, I really can't stress enough that we are perpetuating a cycle wherein no one is happy. Men think they're entitled to sex. Women are faced with a multitude of obstacles that get in their way for them wanting and enjoying sex, threat of violence, loss of reputation or job, lack of birth control or access to reproductive health that might lead to pregnancy, followed up with lack of access to abortion, uh, we get called withholding. We might not want to be withholding or cold. We have all of this stuff that impacts our sexual agency or lack thereof. Again, fan fiction. That's why I always wrote male characters because I didn't have to worry about right. any of that stuff with a male character. Right. I was. I didn't even realize that's why I was doing it. But that's why I was it doing it. It is an easier way to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's so hilarious that if we don't have sex, we're withholding. Maybe I'm just tired. <laughs> right. You know, um, and kind of to bring about the whole rape culture um, and trying to identify exactly what that looks like, I do kind of want to talk about the Aziz Ansari incident um, in which we're talking about society's expectation on women and um, and what it looks like to be a tease or being called a tease. And Aziz Ansari incident is kind of what I saw more than anything else. Um, First of all, let me go ahead and state that everyone, anyone has the right to change their mind when it comes to what they want to do physically and emotionally. If I change my mind in the middle of the actual act of having sex and the overall reaction should be to stop, no question. I remember there was a lot of confusion with this accusation of Aziz Ansari versus the Harvey Weinstein incident. I think that is partly due to the fact that many women have gone through similar incidents as the woman with Ansari did which then makes individuals question, was I a victim too? So you have the Harvey Weinstein incidents where it was forceful rape, essentially. 
and or some type of violence were involved and threat. Um, and it also comes down to the fact that they, it was actually said by one of the female correspondents when it came to Aziz Ansari that this was just a bad date, yeah. essentially. Um, but if you look at it that deeper, it's a little different. Uh, I think even myself, I mean, quick to excuse bad behavior as just bad experiences or even giving into prolonged sexual experience just to get it over with and not because I want it. Um, I think the bigger question is why have we allowed this to be a state of being? I think this also reiterates the feeling of guilt for not having sex, whether it's because we think we owe it because they bought me a fancy meal or they're nice and they deserve this, right? Like they earned it somehow, not because I want to or because we don't want to seem like a tease. And I know, Annie, this is something you talked about before, feeling guilty for not wanting to actually have sex. And I think that's the incident, what came down to with Aziz Ansari was the fact that she kept saying no, but he kept going. And so she finally just let it go and let it happen, right. essentially. And, and that became, well, that's just, many of us have experienced that. That's just a bad date. Right. I mean, come on. Just, just get on with it. This is a part of your decision. You went home with him. You knew what he was about. You knew what he was trying to do, and you didn't fight him off, which I know we're going to have that conversation later on. And again, for her, she didn't report because she felt guilty that yeah. this was something that she had to do, and so therefore wasn't his fault. Yeah, the, the guilt of not wanting to have sex in my last relationship was probably one of the main things that destroyed it. Um, on both, like, on my end, I, I felt all the time guilty. Before we wrap up this section on rape culture, intersectional aside, I was recently listening to coverage on Donald Trump's wall, and there was a montage of his supporters describing why they wanted the wall, why they supported it. And almost all of them said they didn't want their daughter, their wife, their mother to get raped. Or one of the women interviewed said, I, I don't want to get raped. Um, I am so tired of hearing this for multiple reasons. If we look at just the data, there's nothing to support this fear unless you want to be real and discuss colonization, conquest, and the rape of women as a war tactic and the fact that women are, yes, viewed as property, something that you can use in war. That's different. But if we're looking at this, there is no data. There is data to suggest we already have a problem with sexual assault and rape see the term rape culture, and we aren't doing anything about it. The women and young girls and men and boys in our life need protection from their husbands, fathers, teachers, priests, other American men and women. And I know it's all politics. It's easy scapegoat, scary thing, but it makes me so angry. I mean, this happened before the Civil War where they used ex-slaves as predators. Right. For no reason other than they needed predators. Mm -hmm. And so let's go ahead and use these people of color. Right, exactly. Yeah, and it, I just, if you want to protect women, if you're serious about it, start in our own borders. I mean, you can go as simple as start within families. Yeah. And then on a similar note, we hear something, something kind of the same when it comes to policing the bathrooms, especially when it comes to trans people. Something like, oh, I don't want my little girl to get molested in the bathroom by a trans person. 
again, <laughs> we have a problem. It is not that. <laughs> it is not that. And that's what makes me realize people don't understand what trans people, right? Like trans community, what they're about. It's not about trying to be something else. It is trying to be who they really should have been to begin with. Right. And I know I probably don't have to say this to our audience, but there is no data to back up that that is a concern. <laughs> None at all. This is a political move as old as time. Women are viewed as property. Men in power, mostly white men, don't want anyone decreasing the value of their property or going back to desirability, youth, and how we value women and girls or don't. Or as a way to further punish a marginalized group, imprisoning or lynching black men for having sex or even being suspected of having sex, or not even, but it's a great way to whip up a crowd of men into violence with white women. Actually... I just read today about the Liam Neeson incident blaming black men in general after he found out a friend of his had been accosted by a black man, which makes me really sad because I really did like Liam Neeson. And I'm I'm sure there may be more context, but that in itself tells you once again, even in today's society, we're quick to say, oh, yeah, that minority, they're definitely the bad people. Right. Be afraid of them. Right. Instead of working on the problem within our own community. Um, Yeah, women's bodies are reserved for those in power and those in power legislate those bodies. And that's a whole other thing when making decisions about what women can and cannot do with their bodies. But anyway, I'm very tired of hearing all of that. Um, We have enough problems. Don't make up fake ones and start working on the real thing. Well, well, they've already made up the fake one. Build the wall, right? Yeah. (sighs) Yes. And we we have a little bit of advice for you, some resources. Um, one one thing that would be great on a more institutional level, but also personally, uh, more research, <laughs> um, particularly more inclusive research, education, particularly sex education. Be mindful of your media and especially the media we let our children consume. Try to find the things that you like about your body. If you're ever feeling negative, try to think of some things like, you know what, maybe I don't like my thighs, but I do like this other thing. You know what's best is to sit with your friends and have a conversation about why this is silly. Yes. Yeah. Reach out to your support group. I always suggest that. Yes. A couple of places are working on combating sexualization of young girls, like the Gina Davis Institute on Gender and Media, Spark, S-P-A-R-K, For Every Girl Campaign, Together for Girls, The End Trafficking Project. So there are some things that you can look up or support if this is something that you're really passionate about. And as always, as we end these episodes, please feel free to reach out to us with your stories. um, Or if you have any questions, if you need resources in your area, we're very happy to help you. As well as the fact that if you have resources, we'd love to hear that. We want more and more and more resources. Yeah, or if you're... Sometimes people have written in and their community is doing something really interesting that I've never heard of before. That's great. We'd love to share that stuff as well. Um, for the D&D oh, fact that they have said to end dear. on our self-care bit. So, I'm carrying around a torso <laughs> in my bag of holding. Wait, you're, you, have a, you have a torso? Yeah. Should I be concerned? I or love should that. I be truly concerned? To anyone who hasn't played D&D, <laughs> I love how weird that statement must sound. You know that's a weird statement, right? I know it's strange. Okay, okay. Keep going. So a bag of holding, 
like if you've seen Harry Potter, it's like Hermione's bag where she can fit all that stuff in there. Oh, yeah. It's like a little bag, but it can fit a ton of stuff. And you have a torso. So what happened was our party was questioning this guy, and he wasn't being cooperative. And while this was happening, while we were questioning him, we were attacked by a basilisk, like you are. And we wanted to, (laughs) we weren't done questioning him, so (laughs) we were going to, you know, put him in the bag of holding. Uh, But he he got turned to stone, unfortunately, and his arms and legs were kind of, because the basilisk, he looked it in the eye, turned him to stone. Oh. Um, So... I wanted to put him in my bag of holding. And also, to any nerds out there, he was in stone. Because if you put a living creature in the bag of holding, they die in 10 minutes. But he was stone, so he was going to be fine. But uh, we couldn't fit him in because (laughs) his arms and legs. So we broke off his arms and legs. I'm starting to think this is just like a choose-your-adventure book that you guys are reading out loud with some dice. Something like that. That's not too far off. Okay. But yeah, we broke off his arms and legs and put him in my bag of holding. He's still in there. We've mostly forgotten about him, but occasionally I remember. Oh, yeah, there was a torso in here. A stone torso. But if we ever, like, turn him not into stone, he's going to awake screaming. Yeah. Bleeding. Probably die. Is he going to bleed? I don't know if he... Does it, like... Okay. Well, I don't know the the physics of breaking off. Magically breaking off stone. Stone arms. That turns back into a human. I don't know. Hmm. But maybe we'll find out. I feel like after your stuff, I have no real good facts to add because mine's not in depth. You can't top a stone torso in your bag of holding. I can't talk about peaches being in a bag. I mean, that's not a thing. But I will talk about my dog all day. Again, mine doesn't hold a, a candle to yours. But whatever, um, I will say, if anyone that would like to meet Peaches, please be aware. She gets so excited and wants to impress you so much that she pees. I think she did that with you first time, didn't she? I think so. Yeah, and I was like, ah! And then I figured out what was happening. And apparently, this is not a new thing for a lot of dogs. So I try to get her to meet people outside. But she still pees everywhere. I don't quite understand it. I guess, again... They get so excited. And to be fair, myself, when I get really excited about something and if I already need to pee, it's over. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Kind of. Kind of. Kind of. But, yeah, that's her thing as well as the fact, like, she's also going to try to eat your face Mm. because she's going to jump towards your face. Yeah. And when I say eat your face, it's more of, like, smell your face Mm -hmm. to see what she can see in your face, like food. She does. And if you have beard, oh, my God, she's going to start licking at your beard because she knows you got food hidden in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's just facts. That's just facts. Mm -hmm. So if you ever meet my dog, be prepared for all of those things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, What a way to impress someone. What about you, listeners? What are you doing for self-care? Do you have any questions for us about all of this? If so, please send them our way. We're thinking about doing a QA and a episode if enough of you write in, and also maybe an in-person meetup where you can talk to us about all of these things. Um, and d and I'll talk about D&D all day. You and can me, ask. I just, I just want to hang out with people so some, I can say I have friends. Yeah. I say, look, Mom, see, I have friends. This is I all to prove to your mom you have friends. I don't I sit it. It in my living room with peaches eating veggie chips, watching <laughs> Parks and Rec all day long, repeatedly. No, that was time. very specific, but no? I believe that you yeah, don't do it. I don't do that. 
Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> but if you would like to email us, you can. Our email is momstuff at howstuffworks.com. You can also find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast and on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You. Thanks as always to our producer, Andrew Howard. Andrew. And thanks to you for listening. Thanks, guys. If you crack open an American history book, it's sure to be filled with founding fathers, bloody wars, and the inventions that brought this country to the industrial age. But there's a whole other world that waits for us in the shadows. Tales of unlikely heroes, world-changing tragedies, and legends that are unique to this country's spirit. So join me, Lauren Vogelbaum, for a tour of American history unlike any other through a new podcast from iHeartRadio and Aaron Menke's Grim and Mild. Get ready for American Shadows. Listen to American Shadows on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. In this time of pandemic and revolution, do you find yourself frustrated at high levels of corruption and inequality? At our inability to get basic things done? At the persistence of systemic racism? You're not alone. I'm Baratunde Thurston, author, activist, and comedian. Our democratic experiment is at a tipping point. But which way we tip is up to us. Listen to How to Citizen with Baratunde on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.